Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Running after you. And, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you're lost. But I, I just want you to know that His goodness is un fathomable and he wants you to plunge its depths he invites you into it and today he's he's coming for you in love in goodness and mercy grab your bible psalm 36 And as you're turning there, as the choir's getting seated, um, I just want to remind each one of you, there is a new member orientation class. Starts next Sunday morning, June the 5th. So if you have joined our church or are considering membership here at Seneca Baptist, and you go, I want to know what that's all about. Uh, next, uh, next Sunday morning, for six weeks, we will begin to gather in the choir room, which is directly behind the sanctuary, uh, on C Wing, directly behind the sanctuary. We'll gather there at 9 o'clock. We'll start at 9.15, and we'll get done about 10.10. And uh, so please come and join us. If, again, if you've joined our church, if you're interested in membership at Seneca Baptist, um, come, come and be a part. Come and be a part. It's going to be good. So this is my third week in this passage in, in verse or chapter 36. And so let me just do a recap real fast. Chapter 36, verses 1 through 4. We see the, a picture of the rebel, a picture of the person who has rejected God's grace, a picture of the person who is dead in their sin, a picture of the person who doesn't really care if what they're doing is sinful. It says that they, verse 2, flatters himself in his own eyes that he, his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble, verse 3. Verse 4, he plots trouble while on his bed. And it ends with he does not reject evil. And so that might sound startling to us, and most of us, even if we're lost, would say, that's not me. But from God's perspective, when God looks at each one of us, this is the way that He sees us. He doesn't see us as, as worthy of love or affection. He doesn't see us as worthy of salvation. He doesn't see us with a spark of goodness. He sees us as dead in our sins, needing a Savior. Verse 5 brings great news that God says, stop looking at your sin, look up, look at me. Verse 5, your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the mountains of God, your judgments are like the great deep. 
man and beast you save, O Lord. Some of us are man and some of us are beast, and he saves us nonetheless. And so I would just want to make you aware, this is grace, sheer grace. Why does God save us? How does God save us? By grace and grace alone. Steadfast love, faithfulness. Steadfast love can be translated mercy. His mercy is more than our sins measure up to be. Isn't that good news? Complete and undeserved grace. Now, many of us know Jesus. Many of us have experienced the love of Christ. And here's what I want to ask you, just to get your thoughts stirring about the grace of God. We read this morning in our Sunday school class, Hebrews 13, it talks about verse 9, how it's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. It's good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace. So I asked this question in our Sunday school class. Does Jesus love you? Yes. Why? And if in that moment we say, well, because I, we got it all wrong, don't we? If I start out, because I, I go to church, I'm a good person, I'm a this, I do that, because I. No, Jesus loves you because Jesus loves you. Isn't that refreshing? That your good deeds don't earn any more of his love and your bad deeds can't scare his love away. That he loves you because his steadfast love endures forever. He saved you. Why? Well, pastor, I, I mean, have you seen those people over there compared to them? No, 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 no. The moment that we put it in the first person, we've got it in the wrong person. Because I am good, because I am worthy. No, no, no. Because Jesus, because he saved me. He loved me and he saved me. And this is what verses 5 and 6 and 7 tell us. That we are saved by sheer grace and grace alone. That it's not your good works that earn you God's salvation, but rather God's salvation is poured out on you freely, without price. The payment has been paid, and it, was not, it did not come out of your account. Jesus paid your debt for you. He took what you deserved. He paid out of his own account, and all of the wrath of God was put on him so that we might go free. Then we get to this third section of this psalm. Verse 7, 8, 9, 10. It says, How precious is your steadfast love, O Lord, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They Listen to the, the, the words. Listen to how poetic and beautiful this is. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. Now, the abundance of God's house. What do you think of when you think of abundance? I was praying through this this week, and this is exactly where my mind went. Exactly where my mind went. When I think of abundance in my life, I, at a, a practical illustration, I go to Nanny's house on Christmas dinner. 
Nanny's house. How many of you have a nanny in this room? Christmas dinner at Nanny's house. When I go to Christmas dinner at Nanny's house, there is a table spread. Do you remember that? You, you, you picture that in your life? I, I, the table was slammed full of the people that I loved and delicious food to delight in. Now, I'm, I was, I, I, never mind. The drink at my nanny's house flowed freely, if you know what I'm saying. The, the family was merry, if you get what I'm, I'm laying down. There was a celebration at nanny's house, and the satisfaction of Christmas dinner often ended up with pants being unbuttoned and people taking naps in the big recliner chairs or on the couches, and sometimes there was a card game that got a little out of hand at nanny's house. You ever been a part of one of those card games? I know Baptists aren't supposed to play cards, but you know. Now, that was Nanny's house. Now, just think for a moment about the abundance of God's house. What the psalmist says is the redeemed. The redeemed of the Lord. Those who have experienced the steadfast love, the faithfulness, the righteousness, and the just judgments of God, and gone through them in Jesus, those people now feast on the abundance of God's house. Isn't that an incredible thought? That this is the table spread before you is not the abundance of Nanny's house because even though my Nanny loved us all, there was a budget. She knew what she could spend. She knew what she couldn't spend. She was not wealthy. So, think of how much more God's house, all the things that God created are unmarred by mankind, unscathed by sin. Think about how much of the abundance of God's house will satisfy the cravings of each one of our longing souls and our bodies and our minds. How much more delight would there be at God's table more than Nanny's table? How much more celebration would there be at the abundance of God's house? Doesn't that excite you? I've got a friend of mine, a friend of mine, really dear friend here in town, and he and I, when we get together, we just talk Jesus, and we, we just we talk about life and what God's doing, and anytime we start talking about hard things in this world, hard things in this world, all he says is one phrase, the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's all going to be good at the marriage supper of the Lamb. At the, as we feast at the table of God, everything's going to be right. There's not going to be any more sickness or, or darkness or sin. No more. The abundance of God's house. And then he says, they'll feast on the abundance of the house. You give them drink from the river of your delights. What a phrase. The river of God's delight. I don't know what's in that, but I want that. Don't you? I want to taste and see of the river of God's delight. Man, there's so much imagery from the beginning all the way to the end of the rivers that kind of him in the Garden of Eden and then in, in, in the book of Exodus how God made rivers to spring forth from rocks in the wilderness. There's so much metaphor, and those are not metaphor, those are true, but there's so much picture of the river of God's delight from the beginning to the end. How sweet was that water that they drank in the desert? And God says, I am going to allow you to drink from the river of my delights. And then he says, for with you is the fountain of life. 
Jesus has the fountain of delight uh, of life. Now, I hear that there's been some people that have looked for the fountain of youth. But truly, Jesus and Jesus alone has the fountain of life. Now, I just think phrase after phrase that Jesus says that he who comes to me and drinks will never be thirsty again. Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then he says, in your light do we see light. So let me just summarize this whole thing. All of us are looking for more. All of us are looking for more. We are in a, in a life of wanting more of something. And I, can I just tell you from the very get-go that if you're looking for more of something, Jesus is the more that you're really looking for. No matter what your heart is craving, no matter what the object of your affection is, Jesus is the more that you're looking for. And we see that in this text. Now, as we see that in this text, there are kind of two thoughts of how is this fulfilled. There are two fulfillments. And so the first fulfillment of this passage to ponder for a moment is the fulfillment in heaven. In heaven. That this would be fulfilled in heaven. And I want to show you some scriptures that I just take great delight in and joy in as I think about heaven. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 25, one of my favorites. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. He will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken it will be said on that day behold this is our God we have waited for him that he might save us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation there is a fulfillment coming where we will feast on the abundance of God's house, we will drink deeply in the river of God's delight, and it's pointing to the time when death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? And Jesus has defeated the sting and curse of death for us and will one day ultimately do it as we go to heaven. And this verse can be fulfilled in eternity forever. In Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I already mentioned that one. It's all going to be well at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then Revelation chapter 22, right up here on the screen. Verse 1 to 5, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Doesn't that sound like, like this right here? The river of your delights. The river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Listen, they will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever in heaven. And we sang 
of heaven just a few moments ago, how one day the eastern sky is going to be rolled up like a scroll, the trump showers down, the Lord will descend, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Isn't that going to be a great day? Isn't that going to be a great day? Good gracious. But listen, I can't wait for heaven. But if we see this passage only in light of eternity, I think we're missing some stuff. Okay? So, I believe that this is also to be understood not just in light of eternity, but it is in light of eternity. The abundance of God's house is in light of eternity. The rivers of delight is in light of eternity. The light of life is in light of eternity. But it's not just in light of eternity. Here's what I mean. If we only understand that this is fulfilled in heaven, then a few problems arise for us. Okay? First problem on the screen. We misunderstand our own existence. We misunderstand our own existence. Do you know that you were created for pleasure? Preacher, you're the first Baptist I've ever heard say that. I always thought it pleasure was wrong because we you, you immediately think about hedonism. Hedonism is the idea that you pursue pleasure, that you live for pleasure, and oftentimes hedonism is thought about only in the carnal fleshly sense. And so I don't need to pursue pleasure, but rather I need to run away from pleasure. But I don't, I don't think that is understood rightly. The Westminster Confession uh, says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Can I just stop? Does that describe your relationship with God? That not only do you understand Him, not only do you, you, you kind of love Him, but... But, but, but not only do you submit yourself to His authority, you obey Him, but do you enjoy God? See, a lot of us, we would say, well, I obey Him, and I, I, go to, I, I go to church, and I love Him, but I don't know that I enjoy Him. And, and I just want to encourage you today that God has created you in such a way to enjoy pleasure. And the, the point that I want to make is our deepest pleasure is found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Our deepest pleasure. Um, one, uh, one writer, uh, modern day theologian, he takes the term hedonism and flips it on its head and he calls it Christian hedonism. And he describes or defines Christian hedonism in this way. He says that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I'm going to say that again. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Just go back to the garden. God is in the garden, and God wanted Adam and Eve to be satisfied in, in Him and the things that He gave them. You can eat of any tree in the entire garden. Even the tree of life is available to you. I will be with you, literally walking with you in the garden. And if you will just enjoy me and the things that I've provided for you, all will be well. So enjoy me. And they walked with God in the cool of the day. Isn't that a, an incredible thought 
that Adam and Eve were created to walk with God? Can you just imagine how enjoyable that was for creation to walk with and know the Creator in such an intimate fashion as that? They were created to enjoy Him. And somewhere along the way, we have taken out the word enjoy out of our Christian dictionary. That we're not just supposed to, we're not supposed to enjoy the Christian life. We're just supposed to be obedient and be good and go to church and don't do certain things and do other certain things. No. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Our goal is to glorify God. And one of the ways that we glorify God is finding joy and pleasure in Him. Psalm chapter 16, verse 11 gives us some example of this. It says this, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of... What's that word? There is fullness of joy in His presence. And in His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Tell me that God didn't create you to enjoy Him. Tell me that God didn't create you to seek pleasure, to know pleasure. And because God is preeminent in all things, the creator of all things, that he alone is able to satisfy and bring you a pleasure in a way that the things that are created cannot. And so the, the first problem, if we don't see this in, a, in Christ if we only see the fulfillment of this text in eternity, one problem is we misunderstand that we were created to enjoy God, to find pleasure in Him, so we misunderstand our existence. The second problem is if we don't understand this in light of every day, the second problem is we search for pleasure in all the wrong places. To quote the great theologian country singer Johnny Lee, we are looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for all right. Anybody with me? All right. It's okay. It's okay to be a sinner like me. All right. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. In Jeremiah chapter two, I quote this verse regularly. Says it so well. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and utterly desolate, declares the Lord, for my people have committed two evils. One. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Number two, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So when we don't understand that this text is that, that delighting in the Lord, in the river of his delights, drinking from the river of his delights, feasting on the abundance of his house, we don't understand that those are in Christ day by day. We look for love in all the wrong places. We look for pleasure in all the wrong places. And we commit the two evils of Jeremiah chapter 2. We forsake the fountain of living waters and we dig out for ourselves other cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water at all. We search for all the right things in all the wrong places. Are you with me? And I think each one of us are guilty of that. Lewis, C.S. Lewis uh, says, uh, gives this big long quote, but he says, we are far too easily pleased. We are content with making mud pies in the slums when God has offered us a holiday at the, the beach. And, and, and again, another theologically deep uh, uh, movie 
is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Look at Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Roald Dahl was teaching us all about this text in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Uh, Willy Wonka, he, he gave them this taste of the sweetness of Willy Wonka's chocolate. And, and then the, the winners of the contest, the, the winners came. And then Willy Wonka tempts the contestants with a bit of money to sell the secret recipe. Then he brings, Willy Wonka brings them to the factory for a day to feast on Wonka's delicacies. And because they're far too easily pleased, they each fall prey to temporary pleasure when Willy Wonka was looking for an heir to the factory. Augustus Gloop, Bloop, right? Veruca Salt, Bad Egg. I mean, do you see it? They were far too easily pleased, and they didn't know that Willy Wonka was looking for an heir to the kingdom. God's looking for an heir to the abundance of his house, and yet we are seeking in the world for pleasures that last for a moment. Rather than feasting on the abundance of his house day by day, rather than finding satisfaction and joy and pleasure in him, we look for it in temporary trappings. We're all seeking pleasure in something. Whatever that thing is, often it becomes my God. It's the object of my attention, the object of my affection, and sometimes even the object of my worship. Let me ask you a question. Let me, just a simple way to know some of those things that might get in the way of us finding pleasure in Jesus or enjoying Jesus every day. What is the thing that you spend the majority of your time praying for? Who is the person, what is the thing that you say, if I don't have this, if God, I need you to answer this prayer. Sometimes the content of our prayer life reveals the actual idols of our lives. Because prayer is not that I go to a, a magic genie in a bottle for my three wishes to be fulfilled, but rather prayer is that I, I get to go to the God of the universe and take refuge in the shadow of His wings. And there, everything is made right. Whether my, perspective, or my situation is or not, my perspective is altered. And so He, he says... He says this idea, they feast on the abundance of your house, you give them drink from the river, your delights with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And so all of these things that we're trying to seek pleasure and enjoyment and fulfillment and joy in, if not Christ, they are copies, shadows of things that last, of something that lasts. So the third, the third problem, if we don't understand this in light of everyday life, is that we underestimate the goodness of God. So we misunderstand our own existence, we search for pleasure in all the wrong places, and then we underestimate the goodness of the gospel. Now, follow me for a second. What was the first miracle that John recorded in the scriptures? First miracle. Water into wine. Why in the world is that the... If you're writing the gospel, 
Why is that the first miracle? What about raising somebody from the dead? What about healing the sick or making the lame walk or the blind see? Why is water to wine the first miracle? It's to teach us something. It's to teach us something about who Jesus is, what He came to offer us, and what He came to accomplish for us. Now, no, I'm not preaching about alcohol, okay? That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. We can talk about that. But what I'm talking about is Jesus came, and the first recorded miracle is water being turned to wine. That was not a necessary thing that Jesus did. It wasn't a life-and-death situation. But He turned water into wine. And I think it was to show us that Jesus came for our joy, for our pleasure. I mean, just think about it. There was a party that now didn't have to end. Salvation is like the sweetest wine that goes to your head and brings joy and pleasure. And let me tell you, everybody that I've ever seen who's had a little too much wine always walks a little different and talks a little different and acts a little different. And the salvation that Jesus came to accomplish in your life and my life is like the sweetest of wines. And let me tell you, if you drink deeply of the sweetest wine, you will find merriment in your heart, joy and pleasure in Christ, and you will walk, talk, and live differently. Jesus' first miracle was about pleasure and joy. That's why Jesus came. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son goes away. The prodigal son comes back. What happens? Now, son, I told you not to go, right? No, that's not what happened. My son's home. He was lost, and now he's found. He was dead, and now he's come to life. Hey, go get the fattened calf. Let's celebrate what happened. There was joy and enjoyment in the father's house. They feasted on the abundance of the father's house. And what the prodigal son learned that day is all the things that he went to a far distant land to find were already there in the father's house. He was just looking for love in all the wrong places. Do you think that day the father spared any expense on the son's party? I don't. Do you think that he, the father kept anything back from his household? Not me. Oh gosh, that would have been a party to be at. You want to know how I know it would have been a party to be at? The older son is in a field working and he hears what? Do you remember? Was he here? Dancing. That's a party. When you can hear dancing, that's a party. That's how the older son knows that something's going on at the father's house, is he can hear the dancing. There was no expense, nothing held back. There was no joy or pleasure withheld that day from the people of his own household. And the prodigal son realized that he went to the world to find something that the father had already given him. And it was so much more beautiful when seen in the light of the outright rebellion. And so listen, verses 1 to 4, are our sto- it's our story. 
We were lost. We were dead. We were against God. We were enemies of God. But because of God's steadfast love, His faithfulness, His righteousness, and His justice, because all of that was poured out on us, we now get to feast on the abundance of His house, to drink from the rivers of His delight. And this is that much greater when seen in the light of my rebellion. Are you with me? I don't understand that life is good until I was brought back from the dead. You, you know, we weren't just sinners. The Bible says we were dead in our sin. God didn't just save you, but he brought you back from the grave. The reward of the gospel, I, I'll say this again, the reward of the gospel is not forgiveness. The reward of the gospel is not heaven. The reward of the gospel is, is, is not that I get to go see Aunt Susie in heaven and ask all these questions that I want to ask to Moses or Peter or whoever. That's not the reward of the gospel. The reward of the gospel says that Christ died to bring sinners near to him. You know what we get when we get the gospel? We get God. How much of him? All of him. How much can you handle? That's how much he'll give you. That's the reward of the gospel, is that we get God. Psalm chapter 4, verse 7. Let me prove this to you. Psalm 4, verse 7 says, You, you have put more joy in my heart than when their grain and wine abound. You think their pleasure, uh, their pleasure is, is at the max? No, 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 no. You, God, put more joy in my heart than when their party has gone for days. The joy that God offers to His children far exceeds the things that this world can offer. Jeremiah 31, verses 12 through 14, when speaking of the, the new covenant that God is making, He says, They shall come and sing aloud on the, on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of God. And we have just sang of the goodness of God. They will be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over their grain, the wine, and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then, then shall the young woman, women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old men shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness and sorrow. I will feast on the soul of the priests with abundance. I will feast the soul of the priests with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. The new covenant in the blood of Christ was given that you might be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Dance in the goodness of the Lord. Languish no more. Rejoice in the dance. Be merry in the Lord. That your mourning will be turned to joy and your your sorrow will be turned to comfort and that he will feast your soul with abundance and you will be satisfied with his goodness. Have you understood or experienced Jesus like that? Don't you want to? I do. That's why it comes back. 30, chapter 36 of Psalm, verse 8. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink, you give them drink from the river of your delights. 
for, verse 9, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. And, and today I just want you to hear me say that if you love anything or if anything more than God, it's going to betray you. If you seek pleasure in anything else other than God, it's going to fail you. But God, through Jesus, will satisfy. God will bring a pleasure. God will let us feast on the abundance of his house, on the house of the king of glory. God will let you feast. So all of this, I just have a confession as I end, as I close. Ask me how I'm doing on this. And I just want to say that I, I fail at this miserably. I understand it, but I fail on it practically. I wish that I could preach this sermon and say, you know, I've got this figured out. But number one, you would know that I'm a liar. And number two, I just wouldn't be honest with you. But how many of us are missing the point of the Christian life? How many of us are missing the joy of the Christian life, the pleasure of the Christian life, the abundance of the Christian life? Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You think Christianity is out to steal your joy? No, Christianity is out to give you a joy and a pleasure that you cannot experience anywhere in the world. And I'm not, if, you're, if you feel like you're missing out on that joy, you're in good company here. And I'm not saying that we're lost. I'm just saying that we're passing over the best sometimes for the things that aren't so, of such value. And today, if I can encourage you with that, I just want to encourage you to take refuge in the shadow of of his wings. What does that mean? That means to run from your sin to Jesus. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, dead in your sin, and there's no hope. Receive the gift of God's mercy and grace. And then ask God to teach you what Psalm 37 4 means to delight yourself in the Lord. Make that your prayer. Father, today teach me to delight in you. Let's pray together. Father, there, there are those in this room who truly are lost, who do not know Jesus, who have never trusted Christ for salvation. Rather, they are trying to work their way onto your good graces, but it's impossible to do. It's impossible to work our way into your good graces, but we've only are in your good graces because... Your wrath, your justice, your righteousness was poured out on Jesus, the beloved Son, so that if we trust in Jesus, we experience fullness of joy. We experience, we, we are given what Jesus had because Jesus took what we deserved. We are given all his rights and privileges as a beloved child because he took all the consequence of this sinful heart so help us father to trust in jesus help us to take refuge in the shelter of your wings 
Help us, Father, day by day to feast on the abundance of your house through your word, through prayer. Teach us to love your presence. Teach us to go back to the garden and to walk with you in the garden in the cool of the day and find joy and peace and pleasure there. Teach us what it means to delight ourselves in the Lord. Teach us, Father, how the world offers temporary trappings when you offer us eternal pleasures. Father, teach us to say no to lesser things, to say yes to the abundant life found in Jesus. Teach us, Father, that eternity with you doesn't start then, but it starts the moment that I turn to Jesus. Father, help us. And may we as a church, may each one of us as individuals, may we as a church be filled with such a joy and a pleasure that people walk in and wonder what's in our water bottles. And might we say, no, 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 just like, just like in Acts chapter 3, it's not wine, but we have been filled with God's Holy Spirit and are filled, therefore, with joy and pleasure that wine can't offer. Father, we love you and we need you. And so today I ask that you'd save those who need to be saved. You'd bring repentance to the hearts like mine that needs to repent. And you'd help us to be more like Jesus tomorrow. In Christ's name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me?